This morning, <laughs> we're looking at Matthew 2. Um, we'll look, look at 13, uh, verses 13 through 23. It'll be on the screen behind me, on the screen in front of you. If you've got it with you, uh, you can look at it. Uh, Matthew 2, 13 through 23. Before we read, let's pray together. Uh, Holy Spirit, we, we ask in these, next, uh, in these next moments, minutes, that you would do what you do, that you would open us up, that we would, we would hear your voice. Uh, we thank you for, for this book, for your word, uh, and we ask that, that you would speak now for your servants are listening. Amen. So, Jesus is born. I'll give you a little... I'm going to tell you what it says in, in verses 1 through 12 without reading it, because this will be shorter. So, Jesus is born. The Magi come from the east. You know the story, right? They go to King Herod uh, the Great, and they're like, hey, where's this baby boy, the king of the Jews? And he's like, there's the king of the Jews that just was born? What's this all about? So he sends the Magi away, and then he goes to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he's like, hey, where's this, the king of the Jews supposed to be born? What does it say? And he's like, duh, Bethlehem, hello, you didn't know this? And so he goes back to the Magi, and he's like, hey, Magi, when you go to Bethlehem and find out where the baby is born, come back and tell me, because I want to go there too, and I want to worship him. So they go, they bring their gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and then they... they, they hearing a dream that they're supposed to not go back to King Herod and they're just supposed to go home. So they sort of sneak out the side door and they go back home. That's where we pick up the story this morning. When they had gone, the Magi, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That escalated quickly. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt when he stayed, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I call my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old or under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping with her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So it was fulfilled." What was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. We will go that far. So, 
Herod gets duped, outwitted by the Magi, and he's like, okay, well, I'm just going to make sure I'm going to have all the baby boys in Bethlehem and the vicinity, and I'm going to have them killed. And he does. Slaughters, baby boys. So I'm going to give you a fair warning. You're not going to like most of what I'm going to say this morning. Um, So if you want to get up and leave now, feel free, no judgment here, right? But I'd like you to stay because I think sometimes it's important for us to to sort of think about and talk about things that we don't necessarily want to think about. Maybe some things that we don't necessarily want to talk about, right? And that's kind of what this story, I think, does to us. So here's how the whole thing went down, and it's not pretty. First, a little bit about Herod. Herod was not a very good human being at all. Like, they called him Herod the Great, but anyone with half a brain would understand that this dude was anything but great. Feared? Absolutely. People were afraid of Herod. But great? Not so much. King Herod was a power-hungry humanist who, who had a knack for killing people, for taking people's lives. Here's, here's some things that he did. He once had one of his ten wives killed the one he supposedly loved the most because he thought that that she was cheating on him. He murdered his uncle Joseph, his mother-in-law Alexandra, and three of his own sons. And get this, when he was 70 years old, desperately ill and nearing death, uh, he wanted to make sure that when he did die, that there would be widespread mourning throughout the land. So here's what he did. He had a bunch of Jewish elders all throughout Palestine had them imprisoned, and then he had a plan. When he died, they were then to be executed so that there would then be widespread mourning throughout the land. Are you getting a picture of who this guy is? Sicko. He's a wacko. Like, not great at all. Right? So when we get to the story of Matthew and we have that background about King Herod the Great, it doesn't come as a surprise to us at all. So as Matthew tells the story, when King Herod heard about this baby being born king of the Jews, he got nervous. He probably got angry, probably was a little bit afraid because he didn't want some Jewish uprising taking place. He didn't want some sort of grassroots Jewish political movement sort of arising or bubbling up in support of this new baby boy who was supposed to become then the king of the Jews. So he decided to get rid of the problem. First, he tried to use the Magi. That didn't work. So then he decided to round up all the baby boys born in the vicinity of Bethlehem and in Bethlehem, round them up, and just have them killed. Just slaughter them all. It wasn't a very big populated place. It was about probably 30 little boys. So that's, that's it. Problem solved. Who cares about 30 baby boys, right? Like, it's over. That's what happens. This is what happens when powerful people with, with big muscles or large armies feel threatened. Like, we know this. They, they use force to subdue. They use force to shut down. They use force to squash the weak. It's natural selection, survival of the fittest at its very best. So that's the story. And I know what you're thinking. At least I think I know what you're thinking. 
Maybe. Can I give it a shot? Can I guess what you're thinking? Come on, Aaron. It's still Christmas. Like we just, last time we were together, we talked about the, the baby boy being born in Bethlehem. Jesus, God becoming one of us. Like we, we just celebrated. We had our big meals with family, maybe some friends. We, we gave a lot of gifts. We got a lot of gifts. We haven't even been able to enjoy them yet. We just sort of, it's big celebratory time. Like some of us, most of us probably still have our Christmas decorations up. Like we want to enjoy this. The calendar just flipped to 2022. It's a new year, a new start, a fresh start. And this is the story you bring. Like we have to talk about this like, what are you doing here? Why do you got to be such a holiday buzzkill? What's happening? So if that's what you're thinking, then I knew it. And I also get it. But don't blame me. None of this is my fault. It's Matthew's fault. I didn't write the story. He's the one who wrote the story. So if you're looking for someone to blame, blame him. It's not like I wanted to deal with this story. It's not like I wanted to read this story and prepare this story before Christmas so that we could be together today. That's when I had to think about this story. Before leading up to I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to come up with like 20, 25 minutes of stuff to say about this story. This story stinks. This story is terrible. Who wants to think about a bunch of innocent baby boys just being slaughtered on the whim of a power-hungry national leader? Right? Not me. I don't want to think about this story. I don't. But here it is. It's in that book, in the middle of these God-breathed words. Right? And since we can't exactly pick and choose, even though we do this all the time, we can't exactly pick and choose what God says to us, we probably ought to find a way to sort of enter into this story, walk around in it, think about what does it say about us? What does it say about our reality? What does it say about God? What does it say about how we ought to be in the world? This is a hard story. What does this story really reveal because this bloody Bethlehem is not the cute little Bethlehem we want, but it's the Bethlehem that was. This was reality. And if we're paying any attention at all at the world today, we don't even have to go to Bethlehem to understand that this is the Bethlehem that still is. So let's talk about the Bethlehem reality. So what does this story reveal? I think it reveals our just messed up existence. Like, so Matthew doesn't sugarcoat the birth of Jesus. Not at all. Like this isn't, this isn't the scene we get in Luke. Right? The scene we love to play over and over and over again every single Christmas. You know the version. It's the version with all the, the watchful, caring, hardworking shepherds. Like baby Jesus nicely wrapped and swaddling claws and peacefully lying in a manger. This isn't the story of that great company, that great choir of angels suddenly appearing in the sky and singing heaven's song, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom God's favor rests. Oh, we love that story. It's beautiful. Although if we read that story too carefully enough, like we did a couple of weeks ago, that was the last story we talked about when we, when we were together. We'll understand that it's not... It's not really as peaceful and serene as we 
make it out to be. But Matthew, leave it to Matthew. He doesn't even try. He doesn't even pretend. He leaves, he leaves all the sweetness out. He leaves all the serenity out of his version of the birth of Jesus. There's no peace on earth here. Bethlehem, how still we see the light here. There is Baby Jesus, refugee, home. And there are Am I good? So, baby Jesus is refugee, homeless baby Jesus. There are mothers weeping in the streets because their babies are gone. They're dead. They've been slaughtered, murdered. It's like Matthew saying, this is the world in which we live. This is reality. Be aware of it. Look around. We live in a messed up world. We live a messed up existence in a messed up world. We live in a world where kings and powerful people still today use their powers that be. They use it for themselves. Or they use it for the people who give them the money so that they can be in the places where they are. We live in a world where wars happen, where people starve to death. We live in a world where young girls are kidnapped and sold into prostitution. We live in a world where babies die before they even really get a chance to live. We, we live in a world where if we disagree, then we no longer belong to each other and we can actually hate each other and treat each other as our, our enemies. We live in a world where, where nearly a million people die because of a pandemic. And we can't get on the same page around things like vaccinations and masking. That's the Bethlehem reality. That's our reality. Right? And since Bethlehem shows us the reality of our messed up existence, it also goes one step further. Right? It blows all of our Christmas idealism totally and completely out of the water. Matthew won't allow it. Right? Sometimes, here's the deal. Sometimes I think we get tricked or we get duped or we start thinking that just because Jesus has come, God has come into the world as a person to us, has come into the world and into our lives, then our lives ought to be a whole lot better. Maybe our lives even should be heading, trending towards perfect. Just ask guys like Joel Osteen. That's what you'll get from guys like that. Sometimes we expect that everything in life ought to turn out perfectly when we do things, when we do the right things, when we do the things that we've been told that we should do, right? When we, when we live our lives using God's ways, when we read Scripture every day, when we come to worship every Sunday, when we serve and give, we think Jesus came to set the world right. My life ought to be set right. The Bible says it, right? If God is for us, who can be against us, right? This is the season we try our best to sort of push away all the harsh realities of life and just maybe not think about it because we don't like dealing with those realities. So what do we do? We live into other stories. We live into stories like, like Santa and his elves somewhere making, making toys in the toy shop. We live into, into stories about like Alvin and the chipmunk, or, or, 
Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Like, these are happy stories. Or, or Frosty the Snowman. We sit down and we binge watch like all these sweet little Hallmark movies on the Hallmark Channel. Anyone do that? Yeah. <laughs> Todd? <laughs> you just made my day. <laughs> Sorry, I did not expect that. But I am... In, you just went with it, and you're like, yep, I'm proud of you. <laughs> you okay, I'm with you. Totally with you. So Christmas sometimes, I think, becomes a way for us to sort of escape, right? to, to sort of just not think about it, to not, not think about the harsh realities of life. It's also the season of positive thinking, right? We just flip the calendar. 2022 gonna be a good year, right? It's got to be. The calendar just flips, so what do we do? We just get busy, right? We get busy thinking about the coming year, and we get busy thinking about all the things that we're going to do, and all the goals that we have, and all the changes we're going to make, all the things we're going to do differently just to make our lives a little bit better. We call them resolutions, New Year's resolutions, like, we'll lose weight, we'll stop smoking, we'll give up Mountain Dew, we'll give up chocolate, we'll say bye to sugar for a while, we'll exercise more, we'll get fit, we'll spend money wisely. But soon February rolls around and we realize it's still freaking cold outside. And we sort of forget about all the good things that we were going to do. Maybe this happens more along the lines of January 15 than February, and we get depressed, and we remember that we live in Bethlehem. And it's like, oh. So that's, this is the thing that Matthew's doing here. I don't like it either. Like, just because God came into the world in the person of Jesus doesn't mean the world is just about to be perfect. Right? In fact, if you look at all the evidence around us, and we could, we could spend hours talking about all the evidence around us, if we look at all the evidence around us, it doesn't look like the world's going to be perfect any time soon. Just because Jesus came into the world doesn't mean our lives are, are going to be perfect. One day, yeah, whatever that looks like. Now, uh-uh. Matthew won't let us go there. Bethlehem won't let us go there. This story doesn't let us go there. Blows all of our Christmas idealism, totally and completely out of the water, makes us deal with reality. Happy New Year! <laughs> Grayson. So, okay, fortunately we're not done. There's, there's one more thing that I want to say. Because this story also, when you really think about it, Think about it. It reveals the heart of God. It shows, us it shows us who God is. I'm going to borrow some words from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 2. Listen to these words. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Verse 18 of chapter 2 of the book of Hebrews, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those 
who are being tempted. Jesus came to suffer, to help those who are suffering. Jesus was born in Bethlehem where baby boys are slaughtered. Think about that. God enters into our pain. God enters into our sorrow. God enters into into our suffering. Get that. Think about that. Just ponder that for a little bit. That God would become human in, of all places, Bethlehem, where then 30-ish baby boys were then slaughtered. God comes to suffer alongside of us. In Jesus, God entered into all the pain, all the sorrow, all the suffering that marks all of human existence. He was born in Bethlehem. And then when that baby boy, that sweet little baby boy, born in a manger, he grew up, became a man, and he started saying things to people like, come, follow me. Where did he lead them? Think about the story. He led them into places where they would, where they would bump up and interact against people like tax collectors and lepers and prostitutes. He openly invited in front of everybody. He openly invited the hurt and the diseased, the sick, the lame, the people the rest of the world had pushed aside and set aside and marginalized. He openly invited them to be with him. When he said, come, follow me, you know, you know that group of disciples he wound up forming? Well, the rest of the world would have looked at that group of people and thought that they were just a bunch of losers. Those are the people you chose? In Jesus, God makes it a point to come alongside of us, to come suffer with us, to experience humanity alongside of us, God with us in all of our mess. Listen to these words from St. Augustine. Forgive, forgive the, uh, the language that's sort of, you know, it's old school. He so loved us that for our sake, he was made man in time, although through him all times were made. He was made man who made man. He was created of a mother whom he created. He was carried by the hands that he formed. He cried in the manger in wordless infancy. He the word without whom all human eloquence is mute. Our Lord came down from life to suffer death. The bread came down to hunger. The way came down on the way to weariness. The fount came down to thirst. Oh, in all of our pain, in all of our suffering, in all of your depression, in all of your anxiety, in all of your worry, in all of the ways in which you've been let down, in all the ways you've been pushed aside, in all the ways you've been abandoned, in all of your fear, in all of your doubt, in all of your confusion, God is there with you.
God is here with us in all the mess. Friends, we don't like this story yet. I don't like this story. I don't like it. It's not the story. It's not the Christmas story we want. But it might just be the Christmas story we need. Because if God isn't willing to come to Bethlehem, it just isn't going to do us much good. The murders that happened in Bethlehem then foreshadow the murder that happened later on at a place called Calvary. Friends, if God is going to save us, God is going to have to come down here to the place where we are because we'll never get up there on our own. So let's just, let's thank God for coming to Bethlehem just to be with us. Let's pray.